The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash billrisser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's adworks.com slash billrisser. Back in the dark ages, when we did not have social media, and we did not have the review culture that we are in today, the consumer was going to do business with someone that they knew, liked, and trust, regardless of their prowess as a real estate agent or regardless of the system that was backing them up. But now the consumer still wants to do business with someone they know, like, and trust, but now they're going to check out that person, see what the reviews are, see how many properties they've sold, see what kind of company they're with, see what kind of social footprint they're in. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. I get to go back to my connections at Inman and really excited to talk to Kendall Young. Kendall Young uh, is the owner, broker of Diggs. That is a real estate company based out of Glendale, California. I've had the pleasure of, of talking to Kendall at length, whether it was on a, a cool morning walk in San Francisco <laughs> or crack of dawn. at the crack of dawn or, or you know, maybe over a drink or a dinner. Uh, and, and I find her fascinating and, and what she's doing out in California is going to be so much fun to talk about. And, and so with that, I'll just say welcome to the podcast, Kendall. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be here. Let's, let's get her done. Excellent. You've always been in California since I've known you. Did you were you born and raised in California? Uh, my people came here in the late 1800s, uh, 1870s, and in five, we finally had someone in the fifth generation of our family here in California to make it out of California. Wow. So uh, yeah, I've never been east of the I-5, but now I speak at conferences, so I have. But yeah. Gotcha. So you're from, uh, you know, you went to high school in LA, your degrees from yeah. LA, right? Yeah. Yes. Los Angeles, born and raised. Yeah. Tell me some, something about California that you think the rest of the country uh, misunderstands. Like they think, they think <laughs> Californians are this, but you're going to go, let me tell you, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, golly, no, we're kind of guilty as charged. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, so I was born and raised in Los Angeles, and I did get out of LA for just a few years into Silicon Valley, my first job. I did not understand why people said that Los Angeles natives are crazy, like we're not like we're fruits and nuts or whatever it is they called us. And it wasn't until I got to the Bay Area that I looked back at Los Angeles and went, oh, yeah, we're not sane. We're not like the rest of the people. And because I've never really been outside of California for more than a few days business trip, I can't tell you if our stereotypes are wrong. I think they're probably right. Yeah. We're crazy. We're so I, I grew up I grew up in San Diego, so I had my own thoughts about LA. You know, there was the old rivalry thing, you know, we were mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. stepchild down, you know, that just had mm-hmm. retired admirals of Coronado and LA was the big metropolis up north. 
Um, and guilty as charged, right, Bill? It was. Yeah, that's you're right. You're right. And I'll, I'll never root for the Dodgers, but that's okay. We can still, <laughs> we can still continue the podcast. <laughs> um, me, yeah, good to know. <laughs> Glendale is in the, I, I want to, it's like the southern end of the San Fernando Valley. Am I pretty accurate on that? I don't think of myself as part of the San Fernando Valley. We sit right at the border between the San Fernando and San Gabriel Valleys. Gotcha. Okay. If you look at a topographical map, we're actually where two mountain chains come together, which is why the air and the breezes and life is generally just a little bit nicer in Glendale, in my opinion, than it is if you get like into the San Gabriel Valley where Pasadena is or deeper into the San Fernando Valley where say Van Nuys is. We're at this really nice little place where the breezes rush through and it's clear. Yeah, I think that people don't understand that. that you're talking about ocean breezes that, that instead of um, being kind of kept out, inversion layered out of the, those valleys, you're gonna actually enjoy that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, they rush through the, the the that 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 gap between the two mountain chains. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. You're you went to UCLA, and as a Bruin, I'm just guessing that you weren't sitting there thinking, "I can't wait to get my degree and become a realtor." Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> I well, I am a second generation real estate agent, but I didn't think I was ever going to go into that business. I was going to have an advertising business. And we started the, the advertising business in high school, actually, uh, just before, just as we were graduating uh, senior year, uh, me and my best friend, or one of my best friends, we started an advertising agency. He went to Berkeley. Um, I went to UCLA. And we were going to work, get as many internships as we could. And then we were going to take jobs. He was going to take a job agency side. I was going to take a job business side, client side. Uh, we'd learn all sorts of amazing things, and then we'd move to New York and open up our fabulous creative advertising agency in New York. Um, yeah, that's that was the plan. And then Procter & Gamble hired me into the sales part of the business. I think I was, I think I made it to one month of my senior year in college, um, and they gave me a job offer, and I went, "You're going to give me how much? You're going to give me a car? You're going to give me an expense account?" Thinking stock options? Oh, I don't have to study for the rest of my senior year? Uh, yeah, advertising engine, bye-bye. <laughs> That's what happened. That makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> so, but there had to be something. You're, so you're a P&G, you're young, you're making money, things are going great. Something had to happen. That would be this trigger or this, this some, sort of a, some sort of action that kind of led Bill, you to this realtor world. Bill, Bill, can I tell you the truth? Sure. Between just between our chickens, nobody else is listening, right? Right, right. Um, I'm not employable. I'm just flat out not employable. I don't, I don't, I, I don't comprehend office politics. I don't understand what makes someone who works for a salary tick. I don't understand their stakes. I don't understand their motivations. I don't understand climbing for power. I don't understand any of it. So I spent 21 months pissing people off and having no idea why I was pissing them off. I spent 21 months saying, I'm not going to fill out your sales report. I don't see any reason for it. You know how much cake mix I sold. It was, I broke every sales record known to the mankind of this division of Procter & Gamble. Why should I fill out a stupid sales report? Granted, I was only 20. Um, I'm not employable. I like so, that honesty. Yeah. So 
it makes sense that you're the entrepreneur in you somewhere was going to come out. Um, so how did real estate? I didn't know I was an entrepreneur. I just, <laughs> I just don't play well in a sandbox. Yeah. At 20, you didn't know, you know, now as you look back, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So was it the fact that you had a family, you know, someone in the family in the world of real estate that you were able to kind of look at that as an opportunity where you could be your own boss? My mother was one of those force of nature name, household name, real estate agents in Glendale. Um, and while I had no particular desire to do what she was doing, I figured if she was doing it, I couldn't be half bad at it. It's got to be better than working for a big company. So it was kind of a lark. At that point, I was 22. I had nothing to lose. I had no responsibilities, and it seemed like it. It seemed like I could make a living at it. So, do you or you go back to Glendale at this point? No, I'm still in the Bay Area, um, okay. Silicon Valley, in the uh, mid 1980s, where uh, housing was still reachable for two grunt level engineers, um, even one reasonably slightly higher than grunt level engineer could afford to buy a house in, in Silicon Valley. I was in Sunnyvale at the time. So I'm a somewhat hot chick who speaks fluent geek. It wasn't that hard. That worked out. So you, your first brokerage, uh, did you start with Coldwell Banker or was it someone else? I, I, I generally say that I started with Coldwell Banker. That's not really true. I started with uh, Fox and Carskadden, which was a large family owned regional company. Um, and they were bought by Coldwell Banker some years later. And it's just easier to say Coldwell Banker all the way around. Gotcha. So, and you were, how long were you with the Coldwell Banker family? Now, if I count those years in the Bay Area, uh, 24. Oh, Not wow. counting the fact that I'm a second generation Coldwell Banker agent. Yeah, that's great. I've, I've had a lot of guests on the podcast who have a Coldwell Banker background in, in their history. And, um, so I, I always like to ask that. The, the question, you know, what are some of the ways that Cobalt Banker was able to kind of help you? Because I know that they're big on that training and now knowing how you are and you're, you want to do your own thing, were you able to make those two mesh, kind of absorb what they were offering and then you know, put your twist on things? <laughs> well, when you gave me the question ahead of time, I didn't know how to answer it. And the only thing that came to mind was the idea that no, Bill, I have no idea what Cobalt Banker did to help me because how does a fish know that water helps them, right? I mean, right. I didn't have any other experience, man. It's yeah. just it's a big company. There's, um, yeah, I, I, I will admit, I spent a lot of time saying, well, that's a stupid rule. I'm not going to do it. Um, and part of my pride is that I'm, I keep my nose clean. I've never even had a complaint, let alone an action or a lawsuit. I have always been um, a significant producer. So um, you know what? The suits really couldn't tell me what to do. So they didn't. <laughs> well, I think, that, I think that works across all major brokerages. If you're, you're a producer and, and you do things the right way, yeah, you're pretty much on your own. You can do what you want, right? And there were there there were a lot of um, corporate structures designed to uh, make the ship run smoothly that had nothing to do with my business. And some of them I could ignore, and there were some that I some things I couldn't ignore. So then I would just kind of 
piss and moan and generally get in people's face. But in general, I did not see that Cobalt Banker was a hindrance. I, I, I grew up in the you know, late 80s, early 90s in an extremely agent-centric um, environment. And I believed hook, line, and sinker that Cobalt Banker was not as important as what I was creating as a personal brand. So I just pretty much decided I was going to do what I was going to do. And the brokerage and the environment and the, and the structure around me, as long as they didn't tell me I couldn't do what I needed to to do to grow the business I wanted to grow, I just kind of left them alone. They left me alone. Everything was okay. Right. Well, let's fast forward to a few years ago, 2012. You decide to do that thing <laughs> that, that, <has laughs> that to, I said I would never do. And that's ever. A, that you're going to be a broker. You're going to own a brokerage. You're going to have to manage people. Okay. So technically, I, I didn't. I, even when I launched Digs, I launched it as a brand underneath um, someone else's brokerage license. I still didn't want to be a broker. I'd I'd been in the business at that point, what, 26, 20, I don't know how many years, 26, 7, 28 years, long time. Um, and I still didn't have a broker's license and saw no reason to get a broker's license, much like I don't have any of those letters behind my name. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't see the point. I didn't want to, I didn't need to run a brokerage. I, I didn't need to have a great big business, name and lights, any of that's why it's called Diggs, not Kendall and Company. Um, I just wanted to see, could I create a brand and a brand is not a logo, it's not a name. A brand is a promise of what you're going to experience when you do business with that company. I wanted to know, can I create a brand that can achieve a certain trust level with the local population that a really awesome human being can create? I just wanted to know, could I do that? And I figured I'd have, you know, maybe an agent or two with me and we would, we would embark on this grand experiment because I always knew I could feed the family with whatever my production was. The only thing I did outside of that is gravy, right? Right. So that, that's why I did it. And I parked my brand underneath uh, another uh, very strong family owned regional company, Dilbeck Real Estate. Because um, Mark Dilbeck, who's the owner of that company, um, you know, he and I go way back, way, way, way back. Um, I trust him. He trusts me. We decided to experiment. Ultimately, you know, Dilbeck is Paisley wallpaper and I'm con- polished concrete floors. It, it, it didn't work out, which made both of us, both Mark and I, very, very sad. Um, we would have, we're very um, similar in terms of our beliefs on how people should be treated. Uh, but yeah, so when it became clear that I wasn't going to be able to do what I wanted, I couldn't innovate as fast as I wanted to under a large brokerage. That's when I said, okay, time to stop playing around, time to get your brokerage license and pull up your big girl panties and get on with it. How, how big is your team now? (sighs) Way bigger than I ever expected. (laughs) I have, uh, six agents now plus myself. Um, I have two, I have two full-time staff and one, uh, highly paid consultant for marketing and social media. 
and um, we're about to we're we're in the very very beginning stages of opening up a second location. Wow, are you allowed to talk any more about not, that? Not yet. <laughs> okay, good. It's really, when I say in the very beginning stages, dude, you have no idea how All beginning right. I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll get back to you on that one later. That's great. Okay. <laughs> I, I want to quote a line from your website. Uh, your site says, "We work hard, play hard." enjoy life, and we do some kick-ass real estate. We're a small office and likely to stay that way, but we need a few good people to come play with us. It is obvious that as you build this team that, that you've got, you want them to align with your vision. <laughs> Can, talk about that process and, that, and how, how, what do you go through when you're deciding to bring an agent on board? How do you, how do you make that decision? Yeah, okay, so how many days do we have to discuss this? Answer? As long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, golly. Part of this itch that I need to scratch is my distress over the decades-long trend in our real estate industry of moving towards volume rather than quality. And I don't, I, I mean this in a really broad sense, not in a granular sense. So an example would be the trend towards these really large offices with hundreds of people on the roster um, and, you know, filling the roster with as many bodies as possible, but not necessarily quality bodies and the concept is is noble the concept is you know we're going to train all these people and the ones who take the training and do the work will rise to the top and aren't we great um but there's a lot of collateral damage that is that is wrecked upon the consumer for you know let's say it's 235 people in a particular roster mm -hmm. um you know five are making a really good living five are making are paying the bills Five are doing are on their way to being good, and the rest of the rest of the 220, you know, at one deal every two years, that's that's a lot of collateral damage, um, and I, I'm distressed by that. Part of the reason that you have these large rosters um, is the financial model on how any real estate office makes a profit. And this particular model, and it's, it's, it's common across the industry, it's not one particular company. This is just endemic. It's part of how we've arrived where we are today, um, is to pay really, really, really high commission splits um, in order to attract and retain the people will help you pay for the brokerage, given that the vast majority of people that you have are only going to sell one property every couple of years or so, we're not talking for we're not talking the national average of four to six properties a year, right? Right. Um, we're talking like essentially zero. Like this is an expensive hobby. So because they're giving such high splits to the you know few people who are really selling the homes, they have no profit left over to really develop, you know, these people who are selling one to two homes every couple of years. I think that's a broken model that's 
ultimately not sustainable in an environment where the consumer has access to so much more information about who they should hire, why they should hire, and what that person should be doing for them. Back in the dark ages, when we did not have social media and we did not have the review culture that we are in today, the consumer was gonna do business with someone that they knew, liked, and trust, regardless of their prowess as a real estate agent or regardless of the system that was backing them up. But now the consumer still wants to do business with someone they know, like, and trust, but now they're going to check out that person, see what the reviews are, see how many properties they've sold, see what kind of company they're with, see what kind of social footprint they're in. With that backdrop, I do not think it is long-term sustainable for our industry to ignore completely the care, feeding, training, mentorship, and coaching of the people, of the agents who are underneath their brand. So call me bleeding edge if you will, but I believe that what I and many thought leaders across the country are trying to, trying to accomplish is figuring out how to raise the standards of everything that touches our brand. Because remember, a brand's not a logo, it's not a color, it's a promise of what the consumer is going to experience when they encounter our company which means that if you take that seriously, everything that touches your brand has to be of a certain culture and quality. That's a really long, terribly, and almost tragically egg-headed way of answering your question. I love it. <laughs> but <laughs> me, that's what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, I, as you, I'm listening to that answer, you know, you and I met at an Inman Connect event years ago, and you know. Yeah, we were gonna we were gonna walk at dawn, and then I drank. Well, okay, I actually don't drink. The people around me were drinking too much, and I stayed out too late, and then I didn't wake up in time. But exactly. that's beside the point. That's all right. But let's. I, I there have been so many people that I've met at the the Inman event. You know, say back starting 2010, 2011, that Inman crowd then, yes. who are doing things like you're doing now. It's so yes. much fun to watch this this movement, I'm going to call it, you know, whether yeah. it's Marguerite Jaguer, Lisa Archer out on the East Coast and what you're doing in California. It's so cool. Talk about the importance of, of being around those people and, and, you know, being able to kind of, I'm sure, bounce ideas and to develop these things together. I, I really can't say enough about There's two things that were really important. Um, one is the Facebook groups. And and before Facebook, it was Active Rain, but Active Rain made my head hurt and I couldn't understand it. So, you know, put that aside. Right. Um, but coming in an online space like Active Rain or Facebook um, and sharing ideas across the country, across, across the globe in many cases, and then Inman allowing us to come together and meet face to face. It, I just, I really can't say enough about how it opens your horizons and makes you think differently. Um, an absolutely formative moment for me was um, listening to Christina Wise at that, I think it was the second Inman I was at, it was in San Francisco. We, we met in New York in 2010, I think it was in San Francisco later on that year. And she did her first, she was the, the um, Good Life team was the darlings of the industry right at that particular moment. 
And Christina did a, a presentation and it was about the idea that their company was formed to serve the consumer. And she said it in a way that wasn't a many expletives deleted cliche. It wasn't a sales line. It was something that she believed in and that she was demonstrating how she created a company to serve that ideal. And it took everything I had not to stand up and say, amen, sister. And up until that point, up until that moment in that ballroom, on that stage, I thought I was just crazy. I thought I was a crazy Looney Tunes person, Bill. I thought, I thought that I had all these ideas on how things should be done and what should, what should be said and how the consumer should be treated and the tools that we should use. And I could go on and on. I thought I was just a Rasputin in a corner muttering to myself. And it was being in, seeing that thing. And then later on that day, I think I wound up at lunch uh, with some women who believed what I did, you know, like Jennifer Children um, in Atlanta, um, where we just shared about our mutual belief in this higher order. It was not about transactions. It was not about volume. And it's about money because money's got to fund this thing, but it wasn't really about the pursuit of money. It was about the pursuit of a better way to treat the consumer. Like, <laughs> it was just like, it was game over, Bill. To know that I wasn't alone, it was amazing. I was at that conference too. That, that was a very powerful presentation Christina gave. Um, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. That's I, lo I love the way that all of that has come together. But I want to talk specifically mm -hmm about what you've done with digs your your website is is out of this world good it's spectacular and i want to find out from you where where did the inspiration come for what you did there what what you kind of <laughs> <laughs> oh golly uh, where did i get inspiration there are so many different places the main influence behind my company is to see everything that we do from the eyes of the consumer. What's, what, what is going to deliver value? How is the consumer gonna benefit, right? So the consumer doesn't benefit when you brag about how you know your market share, right? Doesn't benefit to have lavish bios about your agents. I mean, that's helpful if they're, if they're looking for an agent, but that's it doesn't really help the consumer that much right? It doesn't help the consumer to have the same stupid IDX information that every other stupid broker in your area might have. That, that's parody. Everybody has it. That, that doesn't help. Um, so the impetus behind my website was thinking what would help the consumer. If I was a consumer and I, I wanted to buy or sell a piece of property in Glendale, what would help me? Um, so that's why you see... Um, you see three types of information. The first is the expected IDX information, but I use um, Real Scout because I actually think this is a platform that is better than Zillow for someone who is actually in the hunt to buy a house and not, not tire kicking, you know, oogling pretty houses, but actually looking to buy a house. I think Real Scout delivers a unique value that is not available on a consumer-free site. Can I interrupt there? Is that that computer vision kind of machine learning kind of stuff they're doing? Yeah, Andrew, uh, um, the master of the visual presentation. Yes, okay. machine learning. Um, so I have that 
for my property information because it's still expected. Um, I have a ton of hyper-local information because I want people to get a flavor not only for what Glendale has to offer, but the different variations and shadings and uh, neighborhoods and nuances and happenings. Um, my city's not done a great job of doing that, so I do. Um, and then the third bucket of information is, I call it consumer empowerment, um, but it's educational stuff. Um, you know, how to do this, how to see that, what questions to ask in an open house, for example. Um, and then you, you had asked me um, about the sold stories. Uh, the idea that story, human, the stories of human beings is just, as humans, we're attracted to other humans. Right? We want to know, what have you been through? What did it feel like? What were you afraid of? And how did you overcome that fear? And I think these stories can embolden people to go through what is, for almost everybody in residential real estate, it is some life transition. Most people don't change their residence on a whim. Some people do, but most people... They have to do it or they feel like they need to do it because something is happening in their life. They're getting big. The family's getting bigger. It's getting smaller. Death to fourth and taxes, you know, employment. These are these are big life challenges. Um, and I think that telling the story of people who have been there, done that can embolden them or at least help calm their fears and anxieties about going through this life transition, whatever it is. So that's what my website is trying to do. It's trying to educate, empower, and help them. It's trying to promote and be the ambassador, ambassadoress, yeah, of my area, and then the expected property information. And you know, shout out to the Hardisons. They're the ones who developed the website. My first website, Glendale and Beyond, um, I had literally zero Zippo, no input. They just did it. Um, and it was very reflective of my energy. So when it came time to do the company website, I said, uh, go. Um, but I knew more at that point. And I said, go, I want this, 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 and this. Um, but it still was not a lot of input. They John is kind of a genius. He isn't kind of a genius. He is a genius, you know, and good people. Yeah, you say you're trying to accomplish those three things. I'm going to say you have accomplished those three things. It's It really is spectacular. Anyone listening needs to go to GlendaleDiggs.com and check it out. I, I just love seeing, like you said, something so consumer-centric and not the same old thing. It's just yeah, well done. Well, I've had you here the half hour and you're very busy. So I'm going to ask you the same question I ask every guest on the show. And that is, if you could give one piece of advice, just one, well, maybe two, to an agent who's just getting started in the business, with all of your years of experience, what would that piece of advice be? I do have two pieces of advice. Okay. The first one is just do it. It is normal, especially if this is your second, third, or 20th career, to have a lot of fear and considerations about, well, you name it. But if you've done your analysis and you believe that real estate is an avocation that you would be successful at or could be successful at, 
not something you're doing to fill in the gap before your next job offer comes in, but something that you truly think you would be good at, shut up and just do it. That's number one. Number two, we are past the point of part-time dilettantes filling in the empty hours of your day by selling a house or two here and there. So my second piece of advice is to either join a team or find yourself the most amazing mentor you possibly can, paying money if need be, in order to get the right guidance and mentorship to do this the right way and not by the seat of your pants because you think real estate is easy. Real estate is easy. It's not rocket science, but the business of real estate is terribly complex. And to not have the collateral damage that I spoke of earlier, you can't do it just because you know how to fill out a stupid contract. It's way more than that. And you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your potential clients to find out what it is that you need to do to earn the commission that you're going to be paid because it's a handsome amount of money. It's not something that just fell on your head because you were charming. Kendall, if somebody wants to reach out to you and follow up with some questions because you've raised a few here. <laughs> What's maybe. A, maybe. I might have pissed off a few people too, but I'm sorry, not sorry. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best way for someone to reach out to you? Uh, email Kendall at KendallYoung.com. That's K-E-N-D-Y-L. Um, and I'll tell you the story of how I got that name next time I see you, Bill. Uh, K-E-N-D-Y-L at Glendale, G-L-E-N-D-A-L-E, Diggs, D-I-G-G-S dot com. And if you want to know why I named it Diggs, it's because I sell cool Diggs, man. Awesome. Kendall, I can't thank you enough. It's been a wonderful half hour to have you on here. Uh, there, there will be a Kendall part two. I'm just going to lay that out there right now. Okay. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be fun. This is how I work out the rather complicated thoughts in my head. That's awesome. Thanks again for your time. I appreciate, really appreciate it. You're welcome, Bill. Thank you.